0: Good morning everybody. It is good to see you. It is good to be here. For those of you that are new to our church today, my name is Justin. I'm the pastor here at Zion and I'm excited to get started. We're going through a series in the book of Luke uh, and we're going to be in Luke chapter 12 verse 49. Uh, 259 and we're going to be talking about the urgency of the gospel uh, today. Anybody have a sense of urgency like myself with everything that you do in life? (laughs) If anybody has ever seen me on the road, you know I live with a sense of urgency to get to the next place that I'm going to. You know, my wife, when we first started uh, dating and then we got married, she would always say, where are you in a rush to go? And I was like, I don't know. I just want to get to the next place as fast as possible. And this guy is going mad slow right now. (laughs) And now it's funny, you know, as I've read books like The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry and Trying to Slow Down My Life, I will intentionally try to drive the speed limit uh, around in the neighborhood, and not cut people off. As you know, I tried with the Alvarado's today. Let them go in the stop sign. We both sat there for half a minute, you know, being kind. And then my wife, at this point, after you know over a decade together, she'll say, "What's taking so long to get home, Justin?" <laughs> Why are we taking an extra 10 minutes to get to our destination? (laughs) That was amazing. (laughs) Um, You know, the gospel gives us something to be urgent about. And oftentimes in our life, we sit in the urgency of things that do not matter or matter a little bit in the scope of eternity but the things that do matter in the scope of eternity we find ourselves to be very slow paced about very non urgent about very eh. when I get to it I get to it and so today in this discourse as we as we've been reading in the book of Luke Jesus is Headed to his destination. He is headed to Jerusalem. He's headed to the cross. And so his words, his conversations become more and more urgent as we get there. And today we get to hear some of that. So you can read with me along on the screen in Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 49. Jesus says, I came to cast fire on the earth, and would that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on, one house, there will be five divided, three against two, and two against three. They will be divided father against son, and son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. He also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, a shower is coming. And so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say there will be a scorching heat. And it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky. But why do you not know how to interpret the present time? And why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge, and the judge hand you over to the officer, and the officer put you in prison. I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the very last penny. The word of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you are here and you are among us now. We thank you that you have tabernacled among us your presence. Lord, I pray that as we expound on the word and go through your scriptures today, that your spirit would be here, Lord, to convict, to grow, to transform us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The gospel of Jesus brings division, and that is good. And that may be. Weird news to a lot of us here, as we are so used to division being such a bad thing, and it is in many instances. But what's interesting here is Jesus gives us a mission statement, and he says that his mission was partly to divide. There are two I have come statements that Jesus makes here, I have come to, or I came to. In verse 49, Jesus says, I came to cast fire on the earth, would that it were already kindled. And verse 51, he says, Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. See, the truth about Jesus and what he brings and what he came to earth with is that he brings the refiner's fire and division, and the division that he brings shows the importance of of the message and the urgency of the message of Jesus Christ and what he brings. Have you ever fought for, some, for something? You know, like something was really important to you? Uh, you know, for those that have been in a, in a relationship for a while or if you've been married for a while, there's some things that you realize in life that you didn't know were so important to you until you had to live with somebody else for a while. And you start just... Putting your stake, you know, early on in marriage, you put your stake in some of the dumbest hills. You know, like, that toilet paper roll is going to go over and not under. And we are not doing it any other way. We're an overhouse. We're not an under, right? There are just some stakes that you make in the house. (laughs) I got a lot of men clapping right now. I didn't realize. (laughs) Right? there, There are hills that we decide to die on. And then you, you realize, like, this, you know, when my marriage is falling apart, maybe these aren't the hills that I should be dying on. <laughs> there are things in our life that we fight for, that we realize, and, and I have thought of all the funny things where I was, I, you know, me and Heather, I told Heather, no, I'm, I'm dying on this hill today. <laughs> you know, it's like that Gandalf, like, you shall not pass. <laughs> We're doing this now. And when we look at, you know, when I look back on some of these things, I laugh. Like, what was I thinking? You know, like, that was dumb. <laughs> Thank God, right? For 2020 vision in hindsight when we can look back. But the truth of the matter is, is that in life, there are there's a lot of things that we allow to pass by. Like if you meet someone for the first time. And they give very different politics than you. A lot of times we give this false sense of conformity, of smiling and nodding. Like, oh yeah, you know why? Because you're not ready to stir the pot. You're not ready to give chaos to that relationship yet. You're not even ready. You don't even know if you're going to like this person or want to hang out with them. Why would you stir the pot? But then there are things like that are so important that we would stake our job over. That the scriptures call us to stake our life over. That we realize, like, no, this is important. Even looking back, I would still say this again. I would do this again. In life, generally, we take stands for things that are important to us. We only fight over things that are dear to our heart. Yeah, I could care less about, you know, how you fold your clothes or how you put them away. Right, I'm still giving you some marriage examples or your lack of folding, right? Like whatever it is in your marriage. (laughs) (laughs) But Jesus's message is so important, right? That it causes us, he says, that it's gonna cause a stand to be made. And that with this stand, that it will even divide the most intimate of units, the family. That when we look at the family, and especially if we look at it in the ancient Near East, we look at the family unit, this, the, the, and it's not even just the cellular family as we think of today, but it is the broader family unit that the, it is incredibly important. And everyone in the family was supposed to have the same voice, and the same way, and the same direction that they were going, but Jesus says his message will divide the most intimate of places. The family that even father and son will fight or mother and daughter will fight. That if there's a house of five that two will fight against three and three will fight against two. That is the importance of the gospel, of the message that Jesus brings, that it will even cause division amongst the closest of people and the closest of units. And as I thought about this, I thought about how often we, when we preach about the gospel and we talk about Jesus, that we miss one of the most foundational points. And this is why I love going through the Bible verse by verse. Because if I'm honest, I would never pick, like i wake up one Sunday and be like, oh, I'm going to preach on these verses today. This sounds great. But when we go through the Scriptures, like we're going through now, we have to preach on the hard stuff Jesus talks about. And it's the stuff that we often, as a church, don't talk about. And one of those things is that harmony is not the ultimate goal of our Christian walk. And if you listen to the talking heads on Instagram or on YouTube or on the news, then you would think that harmony is the ultimate goal of the Christian walk. See, when harmony is ultimate, we compromise in very bad ways as a church. Sin no longer looks like sin in the face of inclusivity. The scriptures become complex cultural texts to jump through so we don't have to take its command in present day anymore. When harmony is the ultimate, our lives begin to reflect the groupthink around us in the world rather than God's character as given to us in the Word. When harmony is the ultimate, sin doesn't look so bad anymore because if we talk about sin or we call people to repentance, then that's going to bring disharmony to our relationships. That's going to bring conflict in our family. If harmony is the ultimate, then the gospel has lost its power among us. But as I read that Jesus says, did you think that I came to bring peace on earth? And I wondered, well, yes, I did think that, Jesus. (laughs) We all sing every Christmas, peace on earth among men! This is this is our Christmas tradition that your coming was for peace on earth. But when you look at the scriptures, scriptures that we have read before, peace is reserved for those who follow Jesus. In Luke chapter 2, verse 14, it says, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those, this is where we usually stop, among those with whom he is pleased. In Luke chapter 7 verse 50 it says he said to the woman your faith has saved you go in peace. In Luke chapter 8 verse 48 it says then he said to her daughter your faith has made you well go in peace. See the Jesus brings peace to those who follow him. Jesus brings peace to those who please Him, to those who obey Him as Lord. But peace is not guaranteed for all the earth, for everyone. In fact, the opposite will happen. As we see what Jesus brings, He does not bring peace. He says, no, I have not come. I have come to bring division because there will be people that accept what Jesus has to say. They will accept him as Messiah, they will accept him as Lord and Savior, and they will sing as we have sung this morning, hallelujah, you have saved me. And that is something I can be thankful for, that is something I can be grateful for every single day. I don't need another miracle in my life to thank God. I don't need another miracle in my life to sing about my gratitude towards him. I only need to remember the cross. The gospel is so offensive to us that when we hear it, we will either be cut to the heart with conviction or we will reject it and say, this is not for me. And when that happens, Jesus says, house will be turned against house in itself. And this is when he came, what was going to happen. Paul says, the gospel offends to the Greeks, it is weak, to the Jews, sorry, to the Greeks, it is foolish, and to the, to the Jews, it is weak. Why? Because the Greeks, when they thought about the gods and saviors and messiahs, they thought of somebody that was wise. They thought of the logos, the word that came, that was always there, that was permeating wisdom in all things. And so to think of the gods coming to the earth to die on the cross was foolishness to them. It was offensive to their sensibilities, that you would say something that was reserved for the lowest of lows, for the slave class in society, that the Messiah, the Savior, would come and live that life and die in that way. To the Jews, they thought of magnificent power, some that was coming as a snake crusher, as the one who would crush the serpent once and for all and gather the armies of Israel and go out and conquer the oppressors in the land so that Israel would physically rule a kingdom on earth again. It was foolish to them to say he would die as a weakling, ashamed and naked on the cross. The gospel is offensive. Today it is offensive to say there is only one way to eternity with Jesus and with God. It is offensive to say every other religion is wrong. Every other God we bow down to is a false idol and a false God. That the universe is not God. That nature is not God. That the idols of the world are not God. And there is only one way to heaven. And it is Jesus Christ who is that door. But sadly, oftentimes we add a lot of offense to the gospel that is unnecessary to be added. The gospel is so offensive, church, that we do not need to add any offense to it. See, if division is caused by how we deliver the truth or our attitude, then we are falling short of our witness. And that is why when Jesus says when we go out and witness, we have to be as wise as a serpent and as gentle as a dove. Why? Because let there be no stumbling block in me, in my life, and in my words, and in my attitude. Let all the stumbling block be the gospel itself. That no one would reject Jesus because of me, but only because of the word that is spoken, the gospel if someone rejects the gospel, if someone rejects Jesus because the message is unbearable to them and not acceptable to them, then there is nothing that we can do. The fire that Jesus brings is a refiner's fire. See church, we cannot base our interpretation of Jesus and his life based on the majority opinion. That is the way of harmony. That is the way of the world. If it was based on the majority opinion, then the gospel that Paul preached would have been strength for the Jews and wisdom for the Greeks. Instead of it was weakness and foolishness because the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of men. See, the crowd couldn't see Jesus right in front of them. Jesus says, you can tell when a storm is coming or when a heat wave is coming, but you cannot see the Messiah right in front of you. You can interpret the signs of the sky and of the earth, but you cannot interpret the signs in front of you. The world can predict whether you're going to get cancer in 10 to 15 years, but it cannot see Jesus. The world can tell you how the stars align every day so that you would know whether you should eat that sandwich or not at 9 o'clock or 10 (laughs) o'clock, but it cannot discern the goodness of God. The world has made its religion entertainment and pills while it cries out in record numbers about anxiety and depression but it will not acknowledge Jesus. Jesus calls this hypocrisy. See, when we interpret Jesus and the times that we live in and what he is doing right now in the world through the lens of the crowd, we are headed for destruction. Jesus turns his attention to the crowd when he says, you can do all these things, but you cannot see me right in front of your face. When we... When we look at the world and we begin to interpret the world by the majority opinion, by where is the crowd going, what is group thing telling me to think today, what is the world saying that I should be informed on these issues by, when we begin to look at Jesus and we begin to interpret the scriptures by how the world says to do that things, there is one clear trajectory that we are on and it is that we are headed for destruction. Church, when you think the Bible can't really mean that, that's not right. That's when you need to stop and ask yourself, does the Bible really mean that? It is only through our modern sensibility or a modern understanding of right and wrong or the cultural's view of what is good and what is bad for us to read a scripture in the Bible and to say, that is not good. And so when that happens, when that happens to me, I cut that verse out of the Bible, I throw it away, and I say, I'm never going to think about that again. No, that's what some of our founding fathers did. See, when we come across that, it's very easy to say, well, it didn't mean that. I'm going to keep on going. But when we come across those scriptures, what we're doing is we're taking our, our groupthink glasses our cultural lens of the world we're looking at that scripture and saying ah god isn't like that that's not actually good that's not actually bad and we are interpreting the signs and the times through the view of the crowd through the majority instead of What does this say about God? What does this say about me? What does this say about the culture? What does this mean? And instead of trying to take my Bible and transforming it and conforming it to my image, maybe the Bible should take me and transform and conform me to its image. When Jesus comes with an offensive message and with an offensive gospel that says, what you think is right and wrong is actually wrong, and what I say is good is good for you, and what I say is bad for you is bad, then we look at that and and it can be offensive, so offensive that we say, forget the church and forget Jesus and forget the scriptures and that is your prerogative, but Jesus came with the refiner's fire that when we live in him, when we live in the gospel, when we live in what he has said is right and what he has said is wrong when we live into the message that he is the only way to salvation then what happens is we receive that peace We receive that joy we may lose family we may lose friends we may lose the ability to have a lot of followers on instagram we may lose the ability for everybody to like us all the time but we receive salvation and with it peace and with it joy and with it contentment church this is the dividing gospel that we live in that we serve that we have given ourselves over to it is not a gospel of harmony. It is not a gospel of inclusivity. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ that says, this is the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other way to the Father except through me. And this is what we follow. See, science, history, and truth are, has not blinded people to the gospel. Their own hypocrisy has. That's what Jesus is saying here. Science is not against Jesus. People use science to say that Jesus is not real. That is not science saying it. There are a lot of great scientists that believe in God and intelligent design and a lot of things in the Bible that point to science, right? But science is a way that we hypocritically look at the world to say Jesus is not real. History is not against God. History is a way, there are a lot of historians that believe in God. There are a lot of archaeologists that are discovering things that constantly are proving things in Scripture. Things that 20 years ago, 30 years ago, they said, no way this ever happened. But now they make a new discovery and all of a sudden everybody's saying, oh, maybe this happened. History is not against the Bible. It is our hypocrisy that uses history against the Bible. Philosophy or truth is not against God. It is the ways that we have wielded philosophy and truth hypocritically against God. See, we all have biases and we have been offended by God. And in our offense, we have received him and been corrected or we have rejected him and we have looked to reject all that seek him. The question then for us, church, is can you see Jesus? Amidst the crowd, amidst the interpretations of the Bible all around us, amidst people constantly saying, no, that can't be right. Can you see Jesus? In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Church, Jesus does not hide from us. He is ever present before us. It is our hypocrisy that will blind us to Him. It is our desire and motivations and will to understand whatever your job is, whatever we go to school for, whatever our hobby is that we have dove into for the last few months that we're so excited about, that we've watched hundreds of hours of YouTube videos on. all of those things that oftentimes will hide Jesus from us because we are willing to dive into everything except for Him. Our hypocrisy says things like, oh, I don't have time to be with you, or God, you never speak to me, or God, my life has no peace and has no joy, Your gospel is false. When we have not lived in one thing that He has called us to do, and believe anything truly that He has called us to believe. That is hypocrisy. That's why if you've seen on the app, you know, one of the beautiful things of having a place like this Is that we can do things in the middle of the week with bigger crowds and so one of my convictions has been that i want us to look at faith and culture together as a church and so once a month we're going to have a faith and culture night where we can come with our questions get some biblical understanding of where does the bible land on this or what does it say some history on it and ask the hard questions that our culture is asking today It is important where we get our understanding from, where we get our glasses from, our lens from. See church, Jesus does not hide, but there is an urgency to respond to him. There is an urgency to respond to Jesus, In verse 57, he says, And why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? And you go with your accuser before the magistrate. Make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge, and the judge hand you over to the officer, and the officer put you in prison. I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the very last penny. The reality of our life right now is we are on our way to the judge. That is the analogy that Jesus is using here. Every breath that we take, church, is a breath, is a step in the direction of our judge. Jesus says, make amends. Settle the debt before you get to the judge. Before you make it to the courtroom Make sure you have settled everything that has been brought against you because the judge will require a full account. And you will pay. Nothing will be lost. Nothing will be hidden. Every thought, every intention, every motivation, every action will go before the judge. And so this is Jesus' cry for urgency. Jesus was baptized into death. That's what he's talking about, his baptism. He despised the shame, but taking on the cross, Hebrews says, anyway, so that when we get to that courtroom, church, our debt will be settled. We cannot interpret the signs and the times by the crowd. The crowd will say, you have all the time in the world. Modern medicine will make it so that you never die, so that you will live long into your life, so that anything can be covered and solved. But the truth is, we do not know when our last breath will be. We do not know how close to the judge we are. We do not know when we will have to settle our account with him. And Jesus says, be urgent to settle it now before you get to the courtroom. Be urgent to do it now before you have to account for all these things. And you will pay the very last penny. The Bible says that we know neither the day nor the hour of his coming. But we also do not know when our last breath will be. Either of those things could happen at any moment, and we would not know. We would not know if it was one second to the next. And so the call is for us to settle the debt. Now, many of us here have already done that. And so the call is to live with urgency around the gospel, of sharing the gospel with others, of fulfilling the great commission Of going out, making disciples and knowing that Jesus will be with you until the end of the age. That this is our call. But if you have not settled your debt with Jesus, then this urgent matter is upon you today to follow him. You will have peace. You will have joy. And he will be your Lord and he will be your Savior. Church, we must stake our life, our friendships, and even family on the grounds of Jesus and the Gospel. We cannot wait. We have to settle with Him today. The world will give you endless options and reasons not to. But Jesus has given us fair warning where that will lead. Can you stand with me and pray? We thank you, Jesus, for the urgency you had in your mission, for the glory set before you. Even though you despised the shame, you still went to the cross. Help us, Jesus, to heed your warnings today, that if we haven't yet settled with you, that we would settle before we go to that courtroom. The Lord, if we've been interpreting you through the lens of the world, that we would not live into the hypocrisy that this world so easily offers. but that we would have our eyes open to see you clearly, to see you wonderfully, to see you beautifully, and that we would respond in the only way that we can to give up all else, no matter what the cost, for the beauty of what you offer us. Salvation. Help us respond with urgent hearts every day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Church, if you need prayer for any reason, we're gonna have our prayer team in the back that will be willing to pray with you. If you would like to respond in one particular way to give your life to Christ and to say you will live into a life that is obedient to Him as your Lord and Savior, knowing He is the only way to eternal life. And we would love to know about that and to pray with you. And so our prayer team will be in the back at any moment during worship. Feel free to come back to receive prayer. Let's worship together.